Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Toshi and welcome back to Sex in Space. We're here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope everyone out there is doing just fantastic. Whether you're joining us on this podcast as a newcomer or you're a more seasoned voyager who's travelled with us many times before, we're delighted to have you with us. If you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other platform, we sincerely thank you for joining us. Don't forget to show your support by liking, rating and subscribing. You can also find more great Sex and Space content over on TikTok and Instagram. Just search for us using our handle at sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M. We really love hearing from our listeners and engaging with our community. Your feedback means the world to us, and we're all on this journey together. So please feel free to reach out in any way you like. Now let's jump in. For this episode, Jane had a conversation with writer, editor, and book lover Alex Francesco. Alex is a US-based commissioning editor of gender and sexuality books for Jessica Kingsley Publishers. We found Alex after reading an article that they wrote in The Guardian about the culture wars that surround them as a trans person editing children's books. And there's a link to this article in the episode description. Alex has also written some of their own books, including All City, Transmutation and Psychopomps. And you'll hear them talk about the novels in the podcast. Let's jump in. We came across Alex at Sex in Space through a Guardian article um, about the work that they do um, as an editor. And that absolutely captured our imagination, bibliophiles all that we are here. And also um, great believers in books as very, very important, particularly for young people in terms of shaping their world and opening up worlds of opportunity. So... Um, we said, oh, we need to talk to Alex. They're great. And then, um, rather to my chagrin, I found out that um, Alex has written a whole slew of books <laughs> and is a multi-published and awarded author in their own right. And I feel like maybe you could come back and talk about that as well because <laughs> it's, um, you know, prolific and amazing. And I've been reading the reviews. Um, you know, you, they're really um, pretty special. So um, your writing sounds amazing. Thank you. Um, today, I want to really stay focused on the work you're doing, which I see as a form of activism, really. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I have had a long history of working for progressive presses. Um, I started interning at Seven Stories Press in New York, who they're a leftist press. They actually publish my my fiction now. And then I moved on to... Uh, working for a university press. And then I was working for a press out of Tennessee who does poetry. Um, but their main project is to kind of like boost voices that don't get heard as often in publishing. So progressive publishing is something that I've done all throughout my publishing career. And it is a kind of activism in that, you know, books can make the world better. 
Um, books can help people understand each other. We don't possess many ways to get someone's consciousness across to another person quite as well as the book. Um, so I agree with you that it can be a form of activism. Yes. Um, the books that you work with um, specifically looking to elevate and find space for trans voices um, with much of your work. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, as well as what's great, is I notice within our world of trying to elevate voices and publish things, that sometimes when books are coming from places that are deeply in what I would call the industry of sex positive work, mm -hmm. they can be less accessible for those who are nowhere near it. Yeah, and something that I think we do really well at Jessica Kingsley Publishers is that our books are very often introductory guides. Like, um, so for example, uh, Cody Daigle Orion's is I Am Ace is an introduction to asexuality. Um, that is a book that we had come out, I believe, at the end of last year or the beginning of this year. And it's just so wonderful that young people are going to be able to put, pick up this book and say, hey, I didn't even know there was a word for the way I'm feeling. And here it is. So many of our books do that. And in particular with children's books, it's really important to do that. Um, we have one book called Me and My Dysphoria Monster. And uh, that explains the concept of gender dysphoria um, really uh, concisely to children through an allegory where the dysphoria is a monster that follows the the child in the book around. And when, you know, this child gets misgendered, the monster grows bigger. But when the child speaks to an older trans adult who explains gender dysphoria, the monster gets smaller. So it's it's really, there are incredibly important ways to simplify the ideas of gender and sexuality for young people and for people who are even older than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are wonderful stories of people still um, coming out in their 70s. You know, it's never too late, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think books too, um, they have a way of um, normalizing things for children. Um, and if children get to have them at the right age, um, then they just have a different experience of yes. sex and sexuality. Um, I stumbled across a book when I was 13 called The Happy Hooker. And it was, uh, it was kind of memoirs of a sex worker. It was brilliant, mm -hmm. completely, um, you know, comfortable in, in their skin and um, very um, kind of gender fluid and, and playful. And, and I, what a great map. Yeah. For growing up. Um, and then you go into the world and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> this isn't playing out quite as I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many of our books are about normalizing these experiences. Um, so, uh, for example, we have a book called um, The Everybody Book by Rachel Simon. And, oh, you have that one there. That is a great one. So it's for young people and it just normalizes sexuality, it normalizes uh, different kinds of bodies, it normalizes gender. And that is a nonfiction book. But then we also have like fiction books that we work on that just like tell stories. And you can see 
a young trans person like happy and thriving, which is something when I was growing up, you never saw on TV. You didn't see it in books, you know, at most, at best, like you were shown trans people as like spectacles in film at the time. And um, yeah, just having people living their lives who are like you is a powerful thing for a young person to see. Absolutely. Do you remember the first trans book you ever came across? Probably like right when I realized I was trans, I went to the library like near me because like I was automatically like, okay, the library will help. <laughs> and I didn't realize I was trans until I was in my late 20s. I knew when I was young and then I was, you know, closeted for many, many years. And I came out again in my late 20s. And I went immediately to the library. And I remember reading Ricky Wilchin's, uh uh, Julia Serrano, um, all of those, you know, classic gender theorists, uh, Matilda Berenstein Sycamore, and just like picking out all these books and just reading them and being like, oh, these lives exist and this is going to be okay, you know? This is going to be okay. Yeah. And did you at that time have conversations with your family? about what was going on for you? I unfortunately uh, am not able to speak with my family about my gender identity. Um, my family is not supportive of uh, my gender identity and I actually have been no contact with them for quite some time. It's been 10 years now, so. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the great challenges is the education of parents. Yeah. You know, they already came up through school, They had all the failure of sex, not sex education classes. You know, they didn't get sexuality education. And then they're raising children. And one of the things that we look to here is to try to find ways to open up windows and to have opportunities to listen in or have conversations that might affect some parents. Yeah. Um, so we actually have two really wonderful books coming out in the near future. Um, one is called About Bliss, and it's by Christina Olivetti. And it is the story of her finding out her son was trans and then going through a long process of trying to preserve his fertility without him going through natal puberty. So he went on hormone blockers, but they were still able to find ways to preserve his fertility so that if he wanted to have his own biological children later in life, the material would exist to do so. So that's a really wonderful one that we think is going to be an incredible teaching book for how to, you know, take care of your trans child and advocate for them and never take no for an answer when your child needs something or it's just a beautiful book. And then we have another one and it's called uh, A Grand Love and it's for grandparents. And it's uh, grandparents' stories of realizing their grandchildren are trans. And that's going to be another wonderful book for us uh, that we're very excited about. Because again, like half the battle with this stuff is re-educating people who did not get this education when they were young. Now, if people like me who are, you know, 40 years old and trans, if we didn't get it, then certainly like the generations before didn't get it. I totally agree. And I think that's those books sound amazing because I think... That's something else that doesn't exist for people who are dealing with it. You know, where do I go if my grandchild um, is trans or expressing curiosity or uh, then 
what resources are there? And I think that voices of other grandparents is awesome. Yeah. You know, it, it, as you said, it says, oh, there are other people out there and, and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important message. It's an important message for young people and it's an important message for the people that care for them too. Yeah, I think so. And, and so of your, your own writing um, is, I guess, what I would say is um, much more grown up. Yeah, mine is not kids' books. Yeah. <laughs> Were you ever tempted to write like a, you know, a childlike introductory, what is trans kids' book at any point? I don't think that I have been. Um, there's so many wonderful books that do it so well. And children's books are really not my strongest suit as a writer. So... I kind of stick to, you know, what I know with my writing. And I think there's so many people doing wonderful things in the realm of LGBTQ kids books now that like, there's no need for me to step in. <laughs> We've um, started a series of books here and um, really looking to target um, people who, who don't even normally read books, really. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, the, the Organ Education Forgot is a little book about the clitoris and it's, um super accessible graphic you know and, and our aliens i don't know if you've noticed our aliens as part of sex in space but they're everywhere that we've got one wrapped around freud here um, <laughs> and um it, it it's it's been really interesting to see reactions and and as part of the plan series um we're doing one currently how do i talk to my kids about or how do i talk with my kids about porn um, and then we were looking at what is intersex because um, people are it, that that's one of the most invisible spaces of all. Even in this lovely book, the Everybody book, it was yeah. small mention, but and then we've moved on. Yeah, and um, you know that kind of feeling. Oh, there's not that many, and I'm like actually, <laughs> there's as many as there are redheads. Um, you know, this is quite a large number of humanity we're talking about, but there's, it's not really tackled. Yeah. Give that visibility, this notion of binary genders, um, you know, that that it's a, an either or situation prevails. Yeah. And that's so harmful because throughout history and throughout time, not only like accounting for the fact that intersex people exist, but also just throughout history and time, like, gender variance has always been a thing. Like we have a children's book that is coming out in September, I believe, called My Culture, My Gender, Me. And it goes all around the world and talks about all the places that have non-binary genders. Um, and then there's like a little map in the back for kids to like fill in what non-binary gender is from what part of the world. It's a really neat book, but like one of the things that it does is that it normalizes this idea that like, Gender has always been something that is flexible. It's not a fad. It's not new. It's not specific to the United States or the UK or anywhere, like specifically, you know? And a lot of places think like, oh, well, this is just like a fad that's happened in our country like the last few years. It's not. I mean, it's been around forever. And Books like these, like My Culture, My Gender, Me, are really going to show children and give them that knowledge that, like, there's more than just pink and blue. 
here. Those are not our only choices. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This book coming out sounds amazing because the thing that's happened is that Western culture's ideas of kind of, as they do, you know, history belongs to the winners, um, it, it stabilized certain ideas. And this notion of either or, 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 or there being a right way to be in the world has become the dominant. It's incredible. Yeah, I so frequently think about uh, the burning of the Hirschfeld Library in Berlin during World War II and how much more information there would have been in the world um, about gender and sexuality had that not occurred. There are terrible things going on in the U.S. right now, as I'm sure you know, with book bannings and people trying to make sure these books don't get into kids' hands. And we can't let history repeat itself in those ways. You know, we can't like go back in time and erase all this progress we've made just because some people want it that way. I agree. I think we should fight really hard for holding on to what's been achieved. And and that's the, the crux of the challenge, isn't it? How do you work to create spaces when you're dealing with people who are so, so strongly located and in fight or flight, you know, they're, they're angry, they're righteous, they're this whole kind of landing in a place because of this crisis of uncertainty that has them needing to anchor in some sort of truth and have some sort of scapegoat. Yeah. And the big challenge is finding gentle ways to open up space to hang out and to connect with each other. And that's why I think the work you do is so important. Children's books are a place that's potentially um, a lot safer, but grandparents' books and, and parent books, you know, these these more gentle things, um, because if you get into a full-on argument, um, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's something that often comes up that our authors will want to, like, have a disclaimer to their detractors in their book. And I always, I always end up saying, you know, you can keep this if you want, but this is not our audience. These are not the people we're trying to reach. The people who absolutely don't want, like, people like us on this planet, they're not going to read these books. They're not going to be the ones who open up these books and say, oh, I was wrong, you know? And it's going to be the allies and the near allies and the people. So... A very um, famous organizing collective called the Beehive Collective in the U.S. Um, I don't know if they do anything anymore, but like they used to come in and do presentations in colleges and they had this like wheel that a half circle. And on one side are the people who are on this side of the issue. And then there's your near allies. And then there's people who are kind of undecided. And then there's people who are the exact opposite on the issue. And the idea is to gently shift the people that you can towards you and not kind of focus on the ones that you can't reach. Um, so I think a lot of our books definitely do that. Like they provide information in such a way that like, if you are maybe on the fence about these topics, you will learn so much and you will learn it gently and you will learn it in ways that really educate you. Um, and if you are already kind of there, you'll still be able to find things in these books that teach you more. Um, so yeah, I always tell our authors, you know, our audience is going to be the people who want to be on, who want to be swayed to, in our direction a little bit. Are there um, other 
tools that you've come across um, in your travels that you think are helpful to open up spaces in that way? Because that one sounds great. Well, obviously, you know, I believe very firmly in books and I believe very firmly that we start off as caring people and that, you know, you look at little children and they want to understand each other. They want to be friends. They want to play. Doesn't matter who they are. They just want to, you know, sit in the sandbox together and play. And um, I think all children start that way. And it's so important to nurture that in them when they're young. Um, I just firmly believe that young people are going to change the world in wonderful, wonderful ways that we can't even expect yet. There are things that are happening in sexuality and gender that I hear about Gen Z talking about that I'm like, wow, that's new to me. And I've been around for a while here. Um, so I'm, I don't think that answers your question, though. Uh, <laughs> I think okay. books are definitely one tool, um, you know, and obvious. that's an obvious one. Well, I mean, social media now is a great tool yeah. and it has to be navigated really carefully. But when it's done correctly, like so many people educate and just teach through it, which is really beautiful to see. And so with the as you were growing up and, and looking around you and, and looking for resources to support you as you got older, um, if you were talking to young trans people now who might be listening the world's changed. What what would you say about where they might look for support or ideas? Um, I would say community centers, specifically for LGBTQ people. And again, being a book person, I always say go to the library. There are so many librarians who would be so thrilled to help a young person who is trying to figure themselves out, find the right books to do so. A lot of my friends are librarians and they are some of the most progressive and amazing people in the world. If your library is under siege by the conservative forces, uh, the New York Public Library, I believe, has offered library cards for virtual access to books all over the country um, through their library. Uh, that's in the U.S., obviously. Um, but I always say the library is a great place to start. I mean, again, I'm showing I'm kind of a book nerd. But uh, yeah. Um, and then obviously, like kids today have like online discussions where they get to find people like themselves online. And that can be a dangerous thing and it can be a really amazing thing. Like, because there's certainly like bad actors out there, like posing as like, you know, people they aren't. Um, but finding people who are like you and finding people who share your identities genuinely is just such a powerful thing. And sometimes the only way you have access to that is going on the internet you know, say like you were growing up, you're a young person growing up in like a very rural area um, and you don't have access to a public library, you don't have access to a community center, you can go on the internet and you can find people like you. Um, and that's that's a beautiful thing that I didn't have growing up. And so if you, um, if, if any of our listeners are budding authors who uh, think that they've got the book, you know, like what is trans or, or that they want to find a way to explore th what they're experiencing through writing about it. Um, how do they go about um, getting themselves into the world of publication? 
Well, um, so the way we do it at JKP is that we have a submissions portal on our website, and our website is www.jkp.com. And uh, you can go directly there and find the Write For Us tab, and you could submit a book to us. So that is one way. Um, often with uh, bigger bigger presses, you will need an agent to get your book considered by editors. Uh, we don't really do that at JKP. We have our submissions open to the public. But if you want to uh, be considered by large presses, you have to get an agent, which is a whole process of querying. Um, and then the agent will take your books out on submission, which is a whole other process, which is maybe even a little more stressful than querying. Um, but then there's also the indie press world where uh, oftentimes you can submit your books like at JKP without uh, an agent. So these are all different options that an author might take. Uh, when did you decide that you were going to be an author? What kicked your writing off? Oh, I was a little kid when I decided I wanted to be an author. I remember um, being on a field trip and my friends and I were playing that game where one person starts a story and then the next person, I think it's called an exquisite corpse, where one person starts a story, the next person continues, the next person continues, and the last person ends it. And I just remembered like falling in love with storytelling in that moment and wanting to be a writer ever since. That's so cool. And so uh, did you start writing when you were in school? Yeah, um, I all through high school, I was very interested in writing. But then I went to uh, I went to a community college and studied journalism. And then I went to a four year college and studied writing. And then I got my master's of fine arts in fiction just a few years ago. So that's that was your trajectory forever. Yeah. <laughs> and so because I know we we're focusing on your work as commissioning and editing books. Um, but in terms of your books, what was your first book that you wrote? Um, so uh, I have a book called All City, and it's a novel about climate change and gentrification and um, art in the world of climate change and gentrification, I guess. A huge superstorm hits New York City, and the only people who are left behind are the ones who have no place else to go. Um, so, uh, a lot of impoverished people are left behind. They band together and they take over a luxury condo building, um, and they squat it. And then there's also an artist who's painting, um, sort of the suffering of the people that are left behind all across the boroughs of New York. And, uh, street artists who paint in all five boroughs of New York are said to have gone all city, which is where the title comes from. Um, so yeah, I won't, I won't spoil it, but that's the basic gist of it. It sounds like a really cool book and, um, definitely it'll be my first one to read of what you've done. Um, also you have been working on one or it's probably out, um, where there's a, a group of people working in HOSPO who, um, fantasize about the idea of David Bowie and Iman coming in. <laughs> I have, I'm still working on that. That's out Are for you? submissions right now. Um, it's my agent is submitting it to presses right now, but, um, yeah, they, uh, it's a group of fine dining servers and each one of them is kind of like led to their real dreams in life by one of Bowie's stage characters. So it's like all the different characters he portrayed through his albums, like 
Halloween Jack and Ziggy Stardust. And yeah, each one of the people is like visited by one of these characters. It's sort of like uh, the ghost of Christmas present and past and all that, except it's David Bowie and all of them. <laughs> I, th I think he'd love it. <laughs> one of the things you said you have, and I can't remember because I'm, I'm a psychologist and I can't remember it. Um, the name of a condition where you don't visualize. Oh, aphantasia. Aphantasia. Yeah. Name. So fascinating. When did you realize that that was a different experience for you? And can you explain it for people? Yeah. So aphantasia is when you have uh, no internal visualizations. Um, so most people, when they're told picture an apple, can picture an apple in their mind. Um, I can't. I have no internal visualizations. Uh, there's also a condition called hyperphantasia, where they believe like some people who thought were thought to have seen visions in like history were like really hyperphantasic, um, where they could just imagine things really, really, really vividly, like more so than the average person. Um, so aphantasia, though, uh, I realized when I was in my 30s, that I had it. Um, I always thought the mind's eye was a figure of speech. I assumed everybody's brain worked like mine. And then I was reading an article um, that was a, it just like I found it randomly online. And it said the thing about the apple. It was like, can you picture an apple in your mind? And I was like, no, of course not. People can't do that. And then it explained that if you can't do that, you're probably a small part of the population that has aphantasia. And it's really interesting because these are like variations of like how the brain works that they're just starting to study. Like um, scientists are really just getting into like hyperphantasia and aphantasia right now. And a lot of the information that exists about them is like anecdotal at this point. Um, but people are really uh, starting to look into it a little more differently and a little more seriously, which I can't wait to find out what they find out. <laughs> Fascinating. It's quite the journey that you've been on, obviously, um, you know, without kind of unpacking your past, which isn't why we're here. Um, but what would you say to your younger self now about how to stay hopeful and and why to that it's all going to turn out okay and that the things that make you who you are may not feel great now but they're going to make you exactly who you need to be and it's all going to be okay and um, one of the things that we are focusing on and, and it's partly because of the rhetoric coming out of the u.s is um friends and family and um really finding tools and ways to stay open and to explore, get educated, um, you know, don't, don't let the world close you down, be allies. Um, so certainly um, finding out about, about these books and accessing them um, is helpful. Yeah. Um, but also um, I think maybe one of the other ways that comes up in, in, in I think all the books that you've um, been involved with is start with words, using them, being comfortable with them, normalizing mm -hmm. them, um, and uh, letting them fill your mouth and, you know, understand, like learn um, yeah. different pronouns, learn different words, learn the 
amazing spectrum of what comes under the intersex umbrella. Yeah. Um, you know, just start to get a vocabulary and talk comfortably about sex and sexuality. Yeah. Um, that feels like maybe it's, you know, maybe we just start with a, a but that basic, you know, being able to say the words. Yeah. And, you know, I actually was just having a conversation with Rachel Simon, the author of the Everybody book, and we were talking about how there's no such thing or there should be no such thing in the healthy in the life of a healthy child as the talk, because the talk should be ongoing through their whole lives. Um, it should be something that at different developmental stages, they have different questions and they feel they can come to their parents about it. You know, they feel that they will be able to ask these questions and receive honest and open answers. So like the idea of the talk just is a fallacy because it should be a conversation through your child's entire life. Exactly. And yet I find that even the very educated left-leaning um, but otherwise smart people I know um, admit to um, having not gone there because they don't have the vocabulary, the tools, um, and they just they just haven't felt comfortable enough to go there. Yeah. And so they still, you know, they're saying, oh, I probably should have the talk. I'm like, well, your kid's 16. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so there's so much work, too, to be done, like we were saying earlier, around undoing the education we got when we were yeah. young. Um, so parents need to be learning these things right alongside their kids. Um, they need to re-educate themselves too. And fortunately, there are great books for it. <laughs> That's right. And actually, it's okay to learn together, right? If you've got yeah. a grandparent or a parent. Is there anything um, in terms of what we've covered? Because the, the intent very much to focus on the fact that there is a really important body of educational material being developed um, for particularly for the trans community, um, that there are some beautiful books coming out that are accessible. And we had a brief look at this one earlier. I would strongly recommend the Everybody book. Um, and we got this from our local library. Good librarians stock these Lovely. books. And um, that um, I think just having them on your Having a bookshelf <laughs> with these books in is a great um, act of development, allyship, and subversion. Make it normal <laughs> to have these books yeah. on the bookcase. It doesn't matter who or what um, your young person thinks they are or is heading towards being. Education is important for every kid. And yeah. The breadth of this education is for every kid. Yeah. I mean, it's not just for queer and trans kids. It's not just for them. It's like, it's important to understand queer and trans lives, no matter who you are. So it's just, it, yeah, it's for all kids. Totally. So you need these books on your bookcase, whoever you are, you should be buying them and have them on the bookcase because there's nothing like a real book <laughs> for engaging people when they're sitting down going, hmm. Is there anything we haven't talked about, Alex, that you that's on your mind that you think is pertinent to this conversation of get educated, get books, um, get involved? I would want to encourage people to please pitch me their book ideas. Um, like I said, we are always open for submissions and uh, you can find it. You can find uh 
the portal for submissions on our website under the Write For Us tab. Um, and yeah, we are always open for submissions and I would love to see more book submissions. Um, I specifically do LGBTQ uh, children's books and also books for adults. That's very cool. Um, and so all you budding authors out there, give it a go. And also, if if it's new to you, there are lots of great resources online around how to think about a book, how to structure a book. <laughs> That you might and our have a look at. our website actually breaks it all down by oh, what cool. we're looking for too. We have like a proposal form, so it's very easy to fill out. Um, it just asks for a writing sample, books that are kind of like the book that you're pitching, and a bit about your author bio and a few more little categories. But we tell you everything we're looking for on there, so it is meant to be as unintimidating as possible. <laughs> Sounds amazing. And actually, I didn't, for anybody's benefit, say where you are in the US. Oh, I'm in Philadelphia. Right. Oh, I've been to Philly. It's a really, really nice city. I really like it. With It's been amazing having you here, and thank you so much for your time. Thank um, you so much for having me. It was delightful. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can find more of Alex at alexdefrancisco.com or on Twitter at at Alex underscore JKP gender. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to check out our book, which is available at sexandspace.com forward slash book, or you can search for The Organ Education Forgot on Amazon. We have a downloadable PDF version available too, if you prefer a digital copy, and that's eight New Zealand dollars, and you can find that on our website also. Don't forget to leave a like, follow, comment, or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, safe travels and see you on the next episode. Bye.